Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends. And I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. Friends, what is up? Welcome to the show. This is Having a Blast. And today I have a special episode, I think. We're going to be doing a deep dive on a record that just had a pretty monumental anniversary date. And that record is by none other than the artist Dashboard Confessional, Mr. Chris Caraba himself. I like to think of this as the second record. Some people consider this the first official dashboard confessional record maybe because they didn't hear swiss army romance or maybe it was the fact that there was some drama associated with the release but this was definitely the album that catapulted chris and company in dashboard confessional to stardom i'm missing your love What a record. I revisited it over the week because I knew I was going to be doing a deep dive on this record. And the record we're going to be doing a deep dive on is The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. I got to be honest, when I first heard Dashboard Confessional, I saw him live. He was playing on the Vagrant Records tour, and he was on tour with Saves the Day, Hey Mercedes, Hot Rod Circuit, and I want to say the Get Up Kids played, or at least I vaguely remember them being there. It was a long time ago at El Torreon, and when I walked into the show, into the venue, I remember seeing a ton of people wearing plaid and these really tight sweaters. Some of them were argyle sweaters with collars poking out and these thick-rimmed glasses. They were all carrying tote bags and wearing Doc Martens, and I thought to myself, oh, this is emo. Okay, this is the aesthetic that is now cool. (laughs) Because at that point, I had been going to a lot of punk shows, so the dress was a little bit different, but I remember that show was amazing, and I was really, really into Saves the Day. That's who I went to see, and I fell in love with Hot Rod Circuit that night, fell in love with Hey Mercedes that night, and didn't, I don't even think I watched Dashboard Confessional set. I was a slate bit elitist when it came to music. I was listening to a lot of punk rock. I was still listening to a lot of fat records and epitaph bands. And so Dashboard, it just didn't hook me immediately. But when Game Time went on tour, I remember Gabe, our drummer, he had been given a mix CD of a bunch of Dashboard tunes. And it had both Swiss Army Romance and The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most on it. And they were in sequential order. But I remember we listened to that CD on loop repeat. There was a period of time where it didn't leave our CD player for a couple weeks. And I fell in love with those songs. And I really, really latched onto those songs. They were burned into my psyche. And I loved all of the harmonies that Chris Caraba would use. He just had great wordplay. You know, I remember initially when I heard Dashboard Confessional, I thought, oh, okay, here's a guy lamenting of the fact that a girl broke his heart. 
he got in a breakup and wrote a bunch of songs about it. That was the joke, really. That was the way in which we made fun of it initially. But it wasn't until I actually listened to his music and dissected the words a little bit and recognized his lyrical prowess that I really gained an appreciation for Chris Caraba and Dashboard Confessional. And then subsequently, I listened to the Further Seems Forever record around the same time, 2001, and fell in love with that record as well. And that is a bona fide classic, just like this album that we're going to talk about, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most, which I would consider a classic album. The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most is the second, as I mentioned earlier, studio album recorded by American emo band, Dashboard Confessional, otherwise known as Chris Caraba. And this was released on March 20th, 2001. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to do a deep dive, retrospective, whatever you want to call it on this particular record, because of the fact that I just turned 21. So it's of legal drinking age now, which is appropriate, I think. So yeah, it was released 21 years ago, March 20th, 2001 through Vagrant Records. And obviously Dashboard Confessional started out as an acoustic act, an acoustic side project, to be more clear, for vocalist, guitarist Chris Caraba while he was fronting Further Seems Forever, the band Further Seems Forever on Tooth & Nail Records. And the project's first album, The Swiss Army Romance, was released in early 2000, so less than a year before. And it was released through a local independent label from Florida called Fiddler Records. I don't know the exact date that it was released, but it just says that it was released in March of 2000 on Fiddler Records. And then it was released again November 14th on Drive Through Records of that year. Fun fact, Amy Fleischer actually bought... Chris Caraba, his first acoustic guitar on a whim. And it was because he needed a guitar because he was writing all these dashboard songs. And she was really championing him and telling him that he should go for pursuing a solo career with dashboards. So she saw the potential in the songs that he was writing and she was giving him feedback. She bought him a guitar and then said, we're going to the recording studio. And they went and recorded the Swiss Army Romance in one night. How freaking cool is that? Thank you, James Paul Weisner, for making that happen. And thank you, especially to Amy Fleischer, now Amy Madden. But thank you very much for facilitating that. It's incredible. At some point, I'd love to get Amy from Fiddler Records on the show. She said she would do it. She just said she's really, really busy with other projects at the moment. So I look forward to speaking with her at some point and going over the history of Fiddler Records, another really cool record label from that era and that time. Chris, using his connections back in 1999-2000 within the punk scene, using his connections there, Chris Caraba was able to perform on a few tours. And though the audience wasn't used to just a solo acoustic instrumentation and songwriting, Caraba won the crowds over. I think it's fascinating to hear Chris talk about growing up in the 90s and forming bands. And I mean, he grew up in the punk scene. He grew up lauding after bands who were on Epitaph Records, Fat Records, Revelation Records. He was into bands like Quicksand and jawbreaker and he started a rock band before further called the vacant andes that was his first band and then he found his way in fronting further seems forever but eventually in the year 2000 demand for the album the swiss army romance on fiddler records it was exceeding the label's supply fiddler's supply which resulted in owner amy fleischer's licensing the record to drive through records 
So this is where some of the drama came in. In October, Chris Carabra announced his departure from Further Seems Forever. And if you want to hear the whole backstory and the history there, I would highly recommend going and listening to the Further Seems Forever on the Labeled podcast, their episode. The Labeled podcast is hosted by Matt from Emory, and they talk to seminal, pivotal tooth and nail bands and go over the history of those bands. I think it's fascinating, too, the fact that Chris was talking about how he wanted to have a project that was a bit of a juxtaposition from Further Seems Forever, which was more of like a math emo rock band. They had very odd songs, time signatures, and songs that had lots of parts, but they didn't write conventional songs with the traditional verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. So he wanted to write more palatable songs and I think that's what he was experimenting with when he started Dashboard Confessional. So in October, Chris announces his departure from Further Seems Forever. The following month, Drive Through's version of the album was released, the Swiss Army Romance. In the same month, Fleischer began working for independent label Vagrant Records, and she pressed her boss, Rich Egan, to listen to the Swiss Army Romance, and when he did, he exclaimed it was, quote, the most refreshing indie rock I'd heard in forever, end quote. And it doesn't surprise me at all that he heard potential there. Rich is a smart guy. At that point, he'd already been in the industry for a while, so he saw the talent and he saw the hype that was being generated. Chris Caraba thought drive through wouldn't be a good fit for the project and he went to them. He went to Richard and Stephanie and told them that and he then went on to sign to Vagrant instead which caused drive through to threaten litigation. And in response, Chris Caraba stated he wasn't signed to drive through and simply had an oral agreement with them. So Maybe they didn't sign paperwork and it was more of a loose thing and maybe drive through got ahead of themselves. I'm not exactly sure what happened there, but yeah, so he was on drive through and then he was on Vagrant, which this story sounds really familiar. This is similar to what happened with Census Fail. Census Fail started out on drive through records and then found their way on Vagrant Records, which is kind of interesting. I'd be curious to know the thoughts of Rich Egan plus Richard and Stephanie. I'd be curious to know each of their perspectives on this particular conflict of interest, maybe. So in November, and December of that year in 2000, Chris Caraba supported his buds in Newfound Glory on their headlining tour. And I know they were friends and they knew each other from the Florida scene. And soon afterwards, Drive Through ceased supplying the release of the album, The Swiss Army Romance, their version of it to distributors, which in turn made it unavailable in brick and mortar stores. And when Chris Caraba became aware of this, he decided to start working on a new album. And I think that was the catalyst and the nature of expediency in which he wanted to get a new record out post-haste at that point. So he started working on a new album, and he flew to Florida, met his brother at the airport with his guitar, and went to James Paul Weisner's apartment, and they started working on the record. And with Chris spending the opening three weeks of 2001 crafting songs for the next album, which is crazy to think about three weeks, he must have had ideas and those songs floating around because... They're fully realized songs, and they're some of the best songs he's ever written. The project evolved into a band consisting of members, obviously Chris Caraba on guitar and vocals, bassist Dan Bonebreak, Caraba's bandmate in the band that I mentioned earlier, The Vacant Andes, and drummer Mike Marsh, formerly of the band The Agency. The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most, which it's astonishing really how quickly he got it out. It was released on March 20th. 2001, exactly a year after the Swiss Army Romance. In March and April, the group supported Hey Mercedes on their U.S. headlining tour, and Hey Mercedes was on Vagrant Records, so it makes sense. I bet that was a fun tour. I think that was actually the tour that I saw that ended up 
manifesting into the Vagrant Records tour. And in May, the band supported the Weaker Thans on their headlining tour of the U.S. Another tour in June and early July followed before joining the Vagrant America tour, which continued into September. And partway through the trek, the band appeared at Crazy Fest. Following this, Mr. Caraba attempted to make the band's touring lineup official members. However, touring guitarist Mike Stroud left and was replaced by Sunny Day Real Estate guitarist Dan Horner. And Bonebreak declined the offer, focusing his efforts instead on Seville, his other band, Seville. Dashboard Confessional appeared on the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn late in September of that year in 2001. They closed the year with a six-week-long headlining tour from late October to early December. A music video was filmed for Screaming Infidelities, the main single from the album, in early January 2002 with directors Maureen Egan and Matthew Berry. The video went on to win the MTV2 Award at the MTV2 MTV Video Music Awards, beating out The Strokes, surprising Nora Jones, The Hives, Nappy Roots, featuring Jazzy Faye and Musique. <laughs> and I remember when he won, it was pretty cool. I'm sure that was a turning point for his career. And I remember seeing that video quite a bit. They had an indie show where they would show some of these music videos. And I remember seeing that one a whole lot. The track was remixed by Andy Wallace, legendary Andy Wallace, and released as a single properly at that point on January 15th of that year, 2002. And the song's music video debuted later in the month and was in heavy rotation on MTV and MTV2. And following this, the album was given retail exposure with listening booths at various big chain stores. And so ubiquitous listening stations across the US and a video being played on regular rotation smells like success to me. In addition, the release received heavy airplay support from 89X, KFSD, and WVEP Radio. In March and April, Dashboard Confessional went on a tour of the US with support from Vagrant Records, The Anniversary, Lawrence Alonso, Ben Queller and Seafood. What a cool tour. Man, I would have loved to have seen Dashboard with the Anniversary and Ben Queller. In May, Bonebreak left the band and was replaced by Scott Schoenbeck of The Promise Ring, who was the brother of touring manager Mike Schoenbeck. By the following month, John Leffer joined the band as an additional guitarist. In the same month, the band appeared on Last Call with Carson Daly and toured the northeastern U.S. states with the band Seville. In July and August, the group supported Weezer on their U.S. headlining arena tour. On July 22nd, the band appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman, so they were climbing the ranks of The Late Shows. <laughs> a music video for Saints and Sailors premiered on MTV2 on August 22nd that year. The clip was one shot at the El Rey Theater, classic El Rey Theater in Los Angeles, California. At the end of the month, the group appeared at the Reading and Leeds festivals. Saints and Sailors was released to Alternative Radio on September 27th. On October 15th, the band appeared on Last Call with Carson Daly again. In October and November, the group went on a headlining U.S. tour with support from Piebald and Rhett Miller. Piebald had to drop off the tour due to the frontman requiring vocal surgery. I remember when that happened. I think he got nodes on his vocal cords. God, I love Piebald. The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most sold 2,500 copies in its first week, which is surprising when you think of the popularity and the longevity of the record, really. And over 40,000 copies had been sold by August. 65,000 copies had been sold by the end of the year. So he was making a name for himself. And I do think that radio and video play absolutely had an integral part in allowing him to become successful and well-known. By mid-2002, the record had surpassed the 200,000 mark. 
and was close to the 400,000 mark by early 2003. As of August 2003, sales stood at 426,000 copies, almost half a million copies for an indie label. That's pretty incredible. And the album has since then been certified gold by the RIAA, meaning it sold over 500,000 copies in the United States. So it did reach that milestone. The album, according to Rock Sound magazine, gave Dashboard Confessional a ton of worldwide exposure. Yeah, you can say that again. And this resulted in Chris Caraba becoming the poster boy for the emo resurgence of the early 2000s. And when I think of emo, I think of Sunny Day Real Estate, Early Jimmy World, The Get Up Kids, bands that tended to be a little bit more rock, a little bit more disjointed, the rock bands that came out of the alternative scene and the grunge scene. But back then, Dashboard was the poster boy for emo. He was. He was the person you saw in your mind anytime anybody mentioned the word emo. And maybe that's why I had an allergy to it initially because it seemed a bit sappy. It seemed a bit self-serving and in some ways it still is. But I think at that time, one of the reasons I didn't truly give emo music a proper chance, number one, I was still listening to quite a bit of punk rock music and pop punk music and I was writing pop punk music in a pop punk band, but it seemed just a bit overly sappy. But I think there was always more than met the initial thought process when it came to Dashboard and the initial caricature that maybe my brain thought it was and thought he was. Because to me, he just seemed like a guy lamenting about a girl that broke his heart, even though he was, and still is, quite good looking. And you're kind of thinking, well, why should I feel sorry for you, dude? But it's obviously more complicated than that. In fairness, when you listen to these songs and the lyrics now, they're actually quite smart. And he was a really good lyricist. And he was modeling a lot of great lyricists in their own right. And he was primed by those people. People like Jim Adkins from Jimmy World and bands like The Promise Ring and Mineral and Sunny Day Real Estate and Jawbreaker. So yeah, this record is a great record. I love how sparse it is, but there's still a few full band songs, but there's not a lot of bells and whistles to this. One thing that I noticed too when revisiting the record is just how you can literally hear how hard he's strumming the acoustic guitar. You can hear those strings rattling at the end of some of these big strumation of the chords, which is really cool. I mean, that's something you don't really hear a whole lot these days unless they're actively working to try to work in some of that authenticity. It's really cool to be able to hear the texture of the guitar as he picks it. Another thing that I noticed about this record is it's pretty short. It's only 29 minutes and 47 seconds. You're in and out before a 30-minute time passage has even happened. Great production on James Paul Wisner's part. The fact that he was able to take something so sparse and very tastefully layer in instrumentation, strings, and being very tasteful with the background harmonies. I think speaks to his credit. And he just worked with Chris again on the newest dashboard record, All the Truth That I Can Tell. And I enjoy that record quite a bit as well. So if you haven't checked that out, I would do so immediately, especially if you're a fan of his meeting Chris Caraba and Dashboard Confessional's first two albums, The Swiss Army Romance, and this one, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. It was fun listening to Chris talk to Rock Sound. I watched an interview in which he talked about this album reflecting on its 20-year anniversary last year, and he was talking about how he had such modest goals back then, how 
on Fiddler Records. It was a small record label, and he talked about how he was really good friends with Amy, the owner of Fiddler Records, and how his main goal at that point was to just get music out and then play shows. I think that's where a lot of musicians start. Those are the purest of intentions when it comes to what we're doing as artists and bands. We want to do the art, and then we want to share it with people. And that was his modest goal. And then to sell half a million records within a couple years is an astonishing feat and noteworthy and probably caught him by surprise. But also, I think he was leaning into what made him special, which was him being naked and raw with these lyrics and with these themes of the songs and putting it out there for people to enjoy. And it really struck a nerve and people could relate to these songs about heartache and loss and friendship and the trials and tribulations of being confused in your mid-20s and your early 20s and even your late teens. It was cool to listen to him talk about what his intentions were at that point back in 2000 and 2001, what his objective was, which was just to do the art and then to play it for people, to share it with people. It was also interesting and cool to listen to him talk about how at that point he wasn't a household name. He had a certain level of anonymity to putting out art because there weren't any expectations of him. There weren't any preconceived notions of what his music was and what his messaging was. I would imagine that was liberating and freeing. It speaks to the authenticity within the art that he had. And he also talks a little bit about how he's been reluctant to revisit that type of authenticity and that type of laying it all out in a bare fashion, probably due to just being a noteworthy name and then having to stay guarded and maybe not wanting to share all those parts of himself once he was in the public eye. Okay, so there you have it. I've heard Chris mention in a few interviews that his first few initial tours, one which sounds legendary, he went on tour with H2O, Snapcase, and Face to Face. And it was Face to Face who asked him to join the tour, which I think is really cool. I mean, that's a hardcore and punk rock and pop punk tour. And to invite him on to open that tour I can imagine some crowds were a little reluctant back then, but I think it speaks to the courage of Chris Caraba, but also I think it's pretty cool. And I think at the time, there must have been a lot of things that were allowing him and making him feel as if he had permission to do such a thing, to grow up in the punk rock community and play in punk rock bands and hardcore bands and pull a 180 and do a singer-songwriter Bob Dylan scenario where that's what he was doing. And I just think that's really cool. And I also think it's a really brave thing to do, to put yourself out there like that, because it's a really vulnerable spot to be in up there on the stage in front of a bunch of punk rock and hardcore fans with an acoustic guitar, and that's it. Especially looking back, because there was nobody doing what he was doing at that point. So it was fairly revolutionary and fairly original at the time. Now it's just commonplace. You'll have singers that go on acoustic tours all the time, including Trevor Keith from Face to Face right now, which is pretty cool. He's been doing a bunch of solo acoustic gigs. One more quick fun story that I've heard Chris tell about that Face to Face H2O Snapcase tour. He said that in one of the earlier shows, he was feeling a little reluctant about the crowds and everything and was talking to Toby Morse from H2O about how he didn't know if he necessarily belonged on that particular tour. And he talks about how Toby Morse, Mr. PMA, positive mental attitude himself. I love Toby Morse and H2O. Gave him a great 
pep talk about how he did belong and he was meant to be there and he belonged right alongside them as compatriots on tour. And it seems as though Chris Carrabba really appreciated that pep talk because he talks very fondly about Toby and H2O quite a bit in interviews and things. So I think they really bonded and became friends. And I think that solidified the fact that Chris felt like, no, I do belong here. And that echoes the same sentiment that I heard Joe Ortega mention about Chris telling him the exact same thing. And his bandmates in Dashboard Confessional telling Joe the same thing about him being on tour with them as a photographer. That seems to be a value that they carried on and that they were willing to extend and champion their crew and the people around them and the bands that were around them. So I think that's really cool. But Chris Caraba, he really leaned into that. He was in a fairly successful band with Further Seems Forever, but he clearly knew he had something with Dashboard Confessional. And I think albums like Clarity and the early Death Cab for Cutie albums that had sparse instrumentation and really subtle songs that harkened back to being influenced by the punk rock community, I think that really gave him permission to lean into what he was good at, which was writing these great pop songs with good sentimental lyrics, just him being vulnerable and raw and sparse with his voice and his acoustic guitar. It clearly paid off for him because he's built a legacy around Dashboard Confessional and who he is as a musician. Yeah, a fun catalog to revisit for sure. If you haven't listened to this record in a while, I would highly recommend going back and listening to those first two. The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most might be my favorite record of his, though. Great songs. I think he was incredibly inspired during that time. It's remarkable how many great songs he wrote in such a short period of time. The Swiss Army Romance was released in November, so not even a full year before The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. I can't imagine how many songs he was writing around that time period. From 1999 to 2001, he probably wrote a lot of songs. And we were listening to the So Impossible EP as well, which had hands down the first initial version of that song, and that's one of his best songs as well. And I loved that he brought it back full band on a mission. Okay, got some cool stuff lined up. Got some cool interviews lined up. I hope you guys are enjoying your time out there beyond podcast land. If you've listened this far, I appreciate you. If you listen to any of the other episodes, I appreciate you. Looking forward to continuing this podcast. Feel free to hit me up, drop me a line. My Instagram handle is Kyle underscore Devlin underscore underscore. I'd love to chat with you about music. Pretty busy right now. I'm renovating my house, but it was fun to do this. And yeah, look forward to speaking to you guys again soon. All right. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend and take care. Bye. Another good night kiss is robbed of all its passion. Your grip. Another time is slack. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care and I'll talk to you later. So close